And Wednesday night, we're gonna continue our study. We finished up the chapter 11 on Wednesday, so we'll be uh, doing uh, chapter 12, maybe even chapter 13, part of it. Um, but I wanna back up just a little bit because there's a string of events that go with the end of chapter 11. So if you would just turn to the last part of chapter 11 as we continue our study in Mark. The gospel's powerful. I love going through the Bible. Uh, there's so much uh, that we, we would uh, cover. Some people might say, well, Brett, you already covered the, these, these things in the gospel of Matthew. One of the blessings of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is if we're repeating themes, it's because the Lord repeats those themes in his word. Uh, and uh, there's so many reasons I love going through the Bible verse by verse. First of all, we're getting the full counsel of God, not just Pastor Brett's favorite verses, you know, and, and it's amazing. You know, if, you, if I chose 50 verses for the, you know, 50 plus weeks of a year, um, you're shooting elephants with a BB gun. Uh, the Bible's full of scripture and there's so much and you just can't cover it all if you're just kind of sp spattering of verses here and there up on a wall. Uh, I love that we get to go verse by verse. So you get the full counsel. You're not stuck on one topic. I mean, some of you have been to churches probably where, you know, it's that 10 week series on tithing uh, or something like that. When you're going verse by verse, you don't do that. You just go through the, and the topics that come up in the frequency and the repetitive nature of it. Uh, it's, it's God's plan and his frequency. Um, you know, and, uh, and one other thing about going through the Bible, have you noticed that where we're at in the Bible is often where we're at in life? The things we're going through, the things we're experiencing, it, it, um, I, that's one of the complaints when I talk to pastors, they say, Brett, I, you know, we've got to talk about what's relevant today and going verse by verse, man, talking about the Old Testament and Leviticus, what is that really going to have to do with, and, and I, I just, I don't even know how to answer that other than it just does. When you go through the Bible, it touches everything we need to know Everything that life needs, it's all right here. So um, with, with Mark, we have this little section we're in this morning that Matthew actually told us about, just we were in there a few months back. But I love how Mark is hard hitting and fast paced. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kind of take a look at the string of questions, charges, uh, um, you know, a mission to derail Jesus, outsmart Jesus by the Sanhedrin, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the Herodians, the scribes, they're firing questions at Jesus. And in Matthew, we see a longer dissertation. So it took, it took us several weeks to get through what I'm gonna go through this morning in kind of one uh, fail swoop. Uh, it'll be, uh, we'll be able to see it kind of more in context, which is kind of fun too. So I love how Mark affords us that opportunity. Um, and I love that Jesus, when he talks to these guys, he speaks with authority, but also with grace. He's not, you know, you know, crushing these people, which he could have, and maybe arguably had the right to crush them. Uh, but he, um, he's gentle. And, you know, maybe we should watch Jesus, how he responds, because today there's a hostility toward Jesus that you and I are seeing in our culture. People make fun of Jesus. People use his name in vain all the time. Uh, movies, TV shows. We should not have any part of that, you guys, as Christians, by the way. Um, when you hear somebody use the name of the Lord in vain, are we paying money to see those movies and watch those shows? And like, are we supporting kind of this vile thing that's against our savior who died on the cross for our sins? Um, we have to be careful about, you know, uh, just kind of accepting the world's, you know, uh, you know, hatred toward Jesus. Hollywood, whether it's the nuns of indulgences putting Jesus on a, uh, you know, a, a cross-dressing Jesus on a cross, on a, like, a, like it's a stripper pole. I mean, these things are an abomination. Um, so how do you respond to the criticisms of Jesus? Well, we can learn from Jesus, how he handles these guys. Um, and uh, it's amazing. These guys, they don't really care about what Jesus is actually saying, but he's gonna deal with these huge questions. The first question we're gonna see these guys level, we, we dabbled with it on Wednesday night, and they wanna question his authority. So if you're jotting them down, I've got five questions that they're gonna fire, different groups fire at Jesus. The first one was, what authority he was doing these things. Let's take a look. It's Mark chapter 11, verse 27 is where we'll pick it up. Eleven twenty-seven. It says, and they come again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking into the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and say unto him, by what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me. 
And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned within themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering said unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love this. Don't try to outsmart Jesus. Now, in a minute, we're gonna see them attempt to use this same tactic that Jesus uses. They're gonna try to turn, turn it on him, the same tactic. I'll show you that in a minute. But um, by what authority? Now, just the, the question itself is kind of interesting when you think about these things. What are these things? By what authority are you doing these things? Uh, hello, raising people from the dead? When was the last time you saw somebody do that? Or cleansing the leper? or giving sight to the blind, or you know, uh, healing the sick uh, as he walked down the street, anybody could touch his garment, bling, 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 bling. He's, he's healing people as he walks by the road. I mean, by what authority do you do these things? Uh, like he's doing something you know, uh, illegal or naughty uh, or bad or whatever. It's such a dumb question, really. Um, and by the way, I, I'll just be clear. Um, you know, your teachers, I said, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Um, I disagree. Uh, we'll see a, a little bit of that today, perhaps, uh, dumb questions. But um, because the dumb question is the one that has an ulterior motive, if you ask me. They could care less about the authority of Jesus. See, some people might say, well, Brad, he should answer them. He could have said, by God, uh, and by the way, I'm God, uh, by God's authority, I do these things. Uh, he could have said that with 100% honesty and then made their heads all explode. Any questions? You know, it's like, like he could have done whatever he wanted to show his authority, but he doesn't give him the answer. And you think, well, he should have given the answer. Well, the reason he doesn't give him the answer is they could care less about the answer. They don't really care about the answer. The, they, were, um, they were worried about something. These guys were worried about their high position, their wealth, they would be more worried about losing their status and their, their power. Um, uh, and Jesus was threatening their very existence. These religious leaders, these scribes, uh, the people that are chief priests and what have you, Jesus is turning that whole tweaked out Jewish religious system that had been you know, distorted from the Hebrew Bible. They distorted it by the first century. These guys were so far off course, it wasn't even funny. But these guys weren't caring about Jesus' authority. They were worried about their own authority. And that's why Jesus doesn't really answer their question directly. Um, you know, it's interesting because people, why do people challenge Jesus today? Um, whether it's the, you know, uh, LGBTQ community that really likes to mock Jesus or at the college professor cardigan sweater, pipe puffing, you know, so-called academia, um, insulting Jesus or did he even really exist? Um, you know, be careful about throwing your pearls to the swine. Jesus warned about that. There's some people that don't care about the truth. They don't wanna know what the truth is. Um, why do people challenge uh, to, to Jesus? Um, it's because they, they don't wanna change their way of life. They don't wanna accept what Jesus has to stay, say and what Jesus did because it, it, it forces them to change their worldview. That's an interesting thing, you know, if, you, if uh, if you really think about it for a second, um, Jesus had the power to do anything he wanted, um, but he was still gracious. He, he doesn't answer these guys, but he doesn't make their heads explode. That's interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking to me that people will not believe Jesus, but they'll also not believe his word, which is one and the same. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. People do the same thing with Jesus as they do the Bible. You'll see a commonality there. I mean, here's this book that we hold. It's a, written over a 1500 year period with 40 different authors, three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, um, written by you know, um, farmers, herdsmen, shepherds, tax collectors, slaves, prisoners, kings. Like it's an amazing diverse group that, that was the, the men who God inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, the world was like, oh, it's just written by men, it's full of contradictions. It's, it's written by the hand of men by the spirit of God. That's what the Bible says of itself. And if you don't believe that, just try giving a good read to the Bible. Oh yeah, 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 I've read the Bible, I've read the Bible. Uh, no, you haven't. 
Um, reading the Bible, it's funny when people say, I've read the Bible. If you've done a quick perusal of the Bible, that's not reading the Bible. I always like when people say that to me, because I, if people say, Brett, have you read the Bible? I always kind of say, I sure have tried and I'm working at it. I've spent my life just kind of reading the Bible and I still feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. Um, and, and then, oh yeah, yeah, I've read the Bible, I got it all down. Then, then it's fun to start asking questions about the Bible. Because man, if you say, yeah, 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 I've got the Bible down, uh, we can demonstrate pretty easily, you do not. Um, and even the greatest thinkers in the world would admit, yeah, the Bible is a, a depth that no man can really reach, it's so deep. And the only reason they say it's full of contradictions is because it contradicts them. That's why people say the Bible's full of contradictions. It contradicts them, that's the bottom line. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I think I approach it so differently. I believe if you, and this is why this is the main battleground, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you got that verse down, if you, if you believe that with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if that's, if that's the one verse you choose to agree with in the Bible, um, then everything else is a kind of a piece of cake. Um, it's amazing, that, that's the first verse in the Bible and that's the main verse the world says, we don't believe that. We believe, you know, you, know, you Christians are wacko, you believe God created the heavens and the earth. Well, you believe nothing created from nothing, something of great beauty and intricacy and sequence and pattern. Like, who's the crazier person? We believe there was something that created something. You believe there was nothing that poof, out of nothing came all of this. By the way, um, I, 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 a lot of people, you know, you're a college president, pipe puffing, cardigan sweater wearing. You Christians have checked in your science card. You guys don't believe in science. <laughs> um, like, it's so funny. Have you guys heard, if you went to college, that's what you heard. Christians check. The greatest scientists in the world were Christians. Um, Isaac Newton was a believer in the Bible and, and in God. And all, even as the, the idea of gravity and all that came from his biblical understandings where he started with the premise of the Bible and he would then try to prove it scientifically. Um, and the scientific method came from Christians. It's an interesting uh, study, by the way. Um, the, uh, have you guys been following the James Webb t uh, Space Telescope that they've recently deployed? You know, we've had the Hubble telescope and others, which were great, but um, they, they had really high hopes that this new James Webb telescope space would be an incredible. It's a thousand times more incredible than they even thought. Have you guys seen what they're, these images they're bringing back from deep space? It, it's, it's incredible what's happening. And I'm not a scientist, but I sure do appreciate true science, not fake science that says, we, you know, this and this and they quote stuff. And they don't really have the scientific method to prove what they're saying. Um, but... Uh, it's so great to read all the articles. I've been just kind of basking, soaking in all the articles because what's happening is the space telescope is discovering that the evolutionary theory is all kinds of problems the deeper they look into space. Um, well, I'll just show you like one article. You can, you can look this up, it's all over the place. Um, uh, SciTech Daily, rethinking the universe. Astronomers disturbed by the unexpected scale of James Webb's galaxies. Um, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the idea, you know, it says in this article, we just keep discovering the impossible. Giant young galaxies shake up our understanding of the early universe. Um, James Webb Telescope spotted massive early galaxies that forced scientists to rethink how the first galaxies were even formed after the Big Bang. By the way, I've always believed in the Big Bang. God said, let there be light. Bang, there it was. Like, I, I believe in the Big Bang that, that way, at least if you're saying God spoke it into existence. Um, and I know some of you are, you know, what is, you know, piously called, I'm a theistic evolutionist. I believe in God creating, but he used the evolutionary process. The reason you're saying that is because you, you've tried to acquiesce to the, the so-called science that they call fact, that's only a theory. And the theory is getting weaker and weaker, especially as they see these giant young galaxies that are supposed to be, in the, they're in the wrong place. Uh, and, and, and I don't explain it very well. Uh, I was listening to, somebody linked uh, a Joe Rogan podcast to me last week and uh, I always forget that his name on, I should, I should write it down probably. Um, but it was an astrophysicist, a brilliant astrophysicist. And, um, and he was just a scientist who because of his study of, the, and, and he's like known as kind of a brainiac guy, that's why Rogan had him on. 
But because of his understanding of the solar system and outer space, he's become a Christian. He believes in God and the God of the Bible, the God of uh, Christian Bible. Um, and Rogan, I, I, you know, I never really listen to Rogan because a lot of stuff he has on is kind of vile and, uh, and he's you know, just cussing up as like a you know, star. I just don't wanna be, but, but the one thing I gotta compliment Joe Rogan on is I think that he truly is searching for truth. That's kind of a cool part of that. I, and, and having this scientist on uh, is, is very interesting. Um, I forget his name. He wrote Darwin's Doubt, a book um, uh, about Darwin uh, even questioning his own, you know, origins of the species. Now it's almost a fantasy. And how can Dar Darwin's even saying, how can anybody really believe this? Uh, but nobody ever wants to talk about Darwin's doubt. But this guy wrote a whole book on it because of his understanding of astrophysics. And, um, and it's, it's really something because even this guy on Rogan's show is saying, man, all these non-believing secular scientists are jumping the evolutionary ship. I've been saying that for a long time. It's, it's happening. You're not hearing about it if you're in your public school at West Lynn, listen to your science teachers at West Lynn or, or you know, wherever. You're, you're, you're hearing really old information if you're in high school. Um, the newer information is the best brains in the world are jumping off the evolutionary bandwagon. Um, my argument is as a non-scientist, if you go with the Bible, you're gonna look pretty smart in the end because the Bible's true and right. And, uh, and it's interesting how the world, you know, very stubbornly tries to, you know, go against that. Um, the, the, the reason I, I bring that up is um, people, they want to reject Jesus because they, it, they, they want to not really jump into worldviews of ever, whether it's philosophy or science or morality, people don't want to acquiesce to the Bible. And so they reject the Bible, they reject Jesus Christ. Um, that's what's happening. Um, Jesus knew what they were doing. So he countered with their question, well, by what authority do you do this? With another question that exposed their own hypocrisy. I love how Jesus did that. Um, and by the way, think about all your arguments you have about, you know, if you're a, a, an atheist or an agnostic, think about all your arguments. Someday you will stand before Jesus and you'll have the same discussion these guys did. How will you do in your little debate with Jesus before the throne of God? Will you stand there with your academics and your smartness? I graduated from Portland State. <laughs> I'm an intellect. Is that gonna serve you well, standing before the throne of God? Uh, I just wanna show you Jesus, he knows what he's talking about and he has to stoop very, very low to even have us comprehend what he's talking about. Uh, I hope you understand that. Um, by the way, um, you know, God doesn't teach us new truth if we've rejected the truth that he's already revealed. That's what happens. These Jewish guys that were criticizing his authority, his, his authority was already revealed in so many ways. The number one way Jesus, his authority should have been revealed to these scholars, so-called, is the prophets that came before them foretold the coming of a Messiah. And Jesus has already fulfilled all those prophecies so profoundly, uh, you know, like riding into the Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, fulfilling prophecy, uh, being born of, born of a virgin, like all the circumstances around his, his, his birth in Bethlehem and like Jesus, just hundreds of prophecies by the prophets, check, check, check. But what was the problem? These guys rejected the prophets. They claimed to be Jewish, you know, priests and what have you, but they rejected the prophets. And we'll, we'll see Jesus talk about that here in a minute. But um, in Luke 16, 31, uh, it reminds us uh, there where Jesus said unto him, they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Jesus said that, which he was about to raise from the dead and prove that he really was the Messiah. But he said, these guys won't even believe after that question. Did the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees believe in Jesus mostly after he rose from the grave? No. Who were the people that believed? Well, it was the common people. I'll show you that. Just the normal, the non-academics who didn't have an agenda, whose paycheck didn't depend on what their uh, religious views would hold. Um, you know, even John seven seventeen kind of says a similar thing. The King James is a little tricky here. If any man will do his will, doing what the Bible says, he shall know of the doctrine. In other words, it's like the cart and the horse argument. Which one comes first? Understanding theology and doctrine, um, then you'll obey God? No, it's to obey what you know, then the Lord will feed you the doctrine and give you an understanding, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself, John says. Um, these guys came to the table on this discussion already having their minds made up 
um, rather than letting Jesus help make up their minds. How do you approach the Bible? Do you approach the Bible with your mind made up? Well, I like to think of this. And if the Bible says that, I'm not sure what to think about that. But I, watch out for that. That's what, that there's a real trend in that today. I like to think. That's the word. I'm a, it's like a new religion, the I like to thinkers. I like to think God is actually a woman. I like to think that God's gonna let everybody go to heaven and no one's gonna go to hell. I like to think, you can like to think stuff till you're blue in the face, but it doesn't make it true. Um, the Bible is true and we need to like to think whatever the Bible says. That's what we should like to think. But uh, don't join the religion of I like to thinkers. It's not a good plan because your brain's not that big. Uh, newsflash, we're all not that smart. So whatever you like to think uh, is not worth its weight at all. Uh, you're insulting. No, I'm talking to myself too. That's why I love the word of God. It's, it's not just a like to think, it's, it's an anchor. It's something that holds us down. The word of God that's powerful and living. Um, I'm so thankful for that. Now, you say, okay, Brett, so we've got um, you know, this question of authority. That's the first way they attack him. But Jesus is gonna um, now talk about those guys that just came after him with that dumb, you know, by what authority do you do these things? And they could care less what his authority was. Um, and we're, he's gonna now illustrate what he's talking about with a parable in chapter 12. Let's read on. Chapter 12, verse one. And he began to speak unto them by parables. He said, a certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat, built a tower and let it out or leased it out to husbandmen or farmers and went into a far country. Now, by the way, this was a very common practice of those days. If you are a very wealthy person, you buy up a huge amount of property, you build the water tower, the place where they press the wine, you, like, you get it all set up and then you lease your property to all the local farmers. And they would all come and tend the, the, the vineyard and, and get the, the fruit of the vineyard and get the wine made and all that. But the payment would come in a percentage of the income or, or even of the wine itself, a percentage of that would go to the landowner as he would lease out the property. That was as common as you know, us leasing a, a building, a storefront for a business. Same, same kind of thing, very common practice, uh, lending the vineyard to others. Um, and then owing a percentage to the owner. Verse two, <clears throat> and at the season, at the time, he sent to the farmers, the husband, a servant, that he might receive from the husband the fruit of the vineyard, his, his percentage, his payoff. Verse three, and they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he, the owner of the, the, you know, the property, sent unto them another servant. And at him, they cast stones and wounded him in the head. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another and him they killed and many others beating some, killing some. And having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also saying, to, saying unto them, saying that they will reverence my son. Like at least they'll not kill my son. They'll, they'll at least understand it's my son. Well, Verse seven, but those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? Now in Mark's gospel, he just tells us exactly what he would do. He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard to others. See, um, this is an interesting thing because if you read the gospel of Matthew, um, uh, Matthew, it's, it, it, he, Matthew gives a little longer dissertation. He, Jesus poses the question to all these people that are standing around as he's giving this little parable. And he says, what should they do to the husbandman? And he waits. Uh, and then the people, the people and the scribes and the chief priests and all the people there, they all answered and said, they should miserably destroy those wicked men. And he will then let out his vineyard or lease his vineyard to another group of people. So they were hard on this. Of course, you destroy them miserably. That's what they said in Matthew 21, 41. But Jesus in the Mark's abbreviated version, Jesus just affirms, um, yeah, the, the owner of the vineyard would come and destroy those guys. Um, by the way, when people uh, say, if God is love, he won't you know, send people to hell. He doesn't punish people that reject Jesus, the son. Well, this parable kind of shows you the, the gravity of the moment. Um, if, if you understand, if you're a sinner, <clears throat> you're the one who caused the death of the son of God. Your sins sent Jesus to the cross. And when people say, yeah, whatever, I don't, I don't need Jesus. You're just like these farmers. 
And uh, no wonder there's wrath and, and what, have, what have you coming that way. Well, um, the parable is about them, the chief priests, the scribes. <clears throat> and, and that's what's interesting. In fact, the symbols of this parable, let's just make sure it's all really clear. <clears throat> Jesus explains it, but I think they, they're gonna get it. Uh, the vineyard, uh, the vineyard itself speaks of the Jews, uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Um, the field, if you would, uh, is the nation Israel. The husbandman or the farmer, um, th that's the religious leaders themselves. That's who we just read about in chapter uh, you know, 11, verse 27. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they're the, the husbandmen in the story um, <clears throat> who beat the servants that came and killed the, the owner's son. Um, the, do, you think the, do you think the religious leaders are happy about this parable? Uh, we'll, we'll find out here in a minute. Um, who's the owner of the field? Anybody? Yeah, that's God himself. God is God the Father, let's say that. Uh, and then um, here's a big question. Who are the servants that the Father sent? Anybody? The prophets. In fact, when you read this description that they beat some, killing some, shamefully handled one, wounded him, stoned a guy to death. Like this is a description of what, how they treated the prophets, the Jews, and the way they treated God's servants that God sent for centuries to the Jews to help them understand uh, the, the, the word of God. Um, but just like the owner, uh, he sent the servants, the, the, the religious leaders treated those prophets and not just those guys in this story, but the Jewish leaders and elders all the way back uh, through the years of the prophets. Um, so the servant sense were the, were the prophets. And then obviously the owner's son, we know is none other than Jesus himself. It's funny how Jesus is not only given this parable, but it's a prophecy that he's gonna be killed. He's not dead yet. He's still talking in the story. He says, but you guys took that owner's son and you, and, and I love how it's, it's, I love how it says here in verse six, having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved. That should be a big sign we're talking about Jesus, right? Because every time God the Father is seen talking about Jesus the Son, he's called his beloved son. Um, in fact, you guys that are into hermeneutics, um, which is rightly dividing the word, how to study the scriptures, um, you know the principle of first mention? Uh, what do you think in the Bible the, the, the first mention of love is? You know, you'd think it'd be between a man and a woman, or maybe God's love for us, but that's not, that's not the first mention. In fact, there's a kind of a crazy pattern that you should know about if you're a Bible student. Um, the first mention of love in the Bible happens to be in Genesis chapter 22. And it's, it's the story where Abraham takes his son, his only son, Isaac, who he loved. That's the first mention of love in the Bible. Um, and it's speaking of not only a father's love for his son, but if you know that story of Abraham and Isaac going up Mount Moriah to, with a bundle of sticks and walking up there and, and Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice his son, his only son, who he loved, what's that a picture of? Jesus, yep. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, does anybody recall what mountain was Abraham and Isaac hiking up there? Anybody remember? Moriah. Question, Mount Calvary is the tip of a mountain. What is Mount Calvary a tip of? What's the mountain? Moriah. Thousands of years later, the very same mountain geographically where Abraham took Isaac to the top, Jesus went to the top. Question, what did Isaac carry up the mountain? Wood, just like Jesus carried the wood of the cross on his shoulders. Question, this will be a funny one. How old was Isaac when he went up the mountain with Abraham? Well, if you were a Sunday school kid like me, he was seven. Because you always colored the seven-year-old little kid. Poor little kid's gonna get killed by his dad, you know, colored the picture. Um, and I thought, oh, how wonderful, what a fun story. We're gonna kill Isaac. Um, but um, but that's, that's not the picture that we should be, you should have been coloring a, a guy in his young 30s. Because the word lad used, uh, unfortunately, in the King James translation, and Abraham took the lad. So you're thinking this little laddie boy, you know, coming up the mountain, this little, you know, seven-year-old. No, he was probably in his young 30s. In fact, if you read the whole Genesis story, Isaac was probably right around 33 years old. How old was Jesus when he was crucified on Mount Calvary? 33 years old. It's, it's such an interesting, par I could go on. There's more parallels than that. 
Uh, but God provided a ram. If you don't know the story, Abraham didn't kill his son. The Lord substituted a ram in his place. Uh, great story. But the reason I bring that up is the first mention of love in the Bible is that love, the father's love for his son, picturing Jesus and God's love for his son. We can extrapolate that even further. If you go to the New Testament, what's the first mention of love in the Bible of the New Testament? Well, it's in Matthew when Jesus gets baptized and God booms from heaven, this is my beloved son. First mention in Mark, when Jesus got baptized and God said, this is my beloved son. First mention of love in um, Luke, um, this is my beloved son. Every first mention is the father's love for his son. That's interesting. Right up until you get to the gospel of John. And do you know what the first mention of love is in the gospel of John? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Man, the, the, the power of that, if you ask me, is profound. Um, but that's something that I love that Jesus marks this little parable himself. The, the father had a son who he loved. You know, that, that's something we should know. Um, well, anyway, I, I digress. All this uh, to say, um, Jesus tells this parable and do you think these guys knew he was talking about them? Well, that will wait for a second because Jesus seems to go off topic and then back on. Whenever that happens, you have to understand it seems. Jesus never goes off topic. Uh, but check this out. So he tells the parable, and then in verse 10, it says, Jesus says, have you not read the scripture? Um, the stone which the, the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What in the world does the cornerstone being rejected have to do with the parable of these guys? I don't get it. Well, it's totally linked and here's why. These guys rejecting Jesus and his authority is the fulfillment of Psalm 118 of the cornerstone being rejected. These guys are rejecting the cornerstone as we speak. Jesus is basically saying, this is happening as we speak. You guys are rejecting the chief cornerstone. <clears throat> now this is fascinating because the Bible is so interconnected. Do you guys remember just a few chapters earlier, we were reading Christ's entry in Jerusalem? There in chapter 11. Just the previous chapter, we saw Jesus ride in. What were the people crying out when Jesus rode in? Hosanna, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Anybody remember what scripture, we studied this on Wednesday night. What scripture did they, were they quoting? Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, right? It's, and and it's, it's the triumphant messianic psalm. And that's why they were crying out Psalm 118. They were just saying, hey, let's think of a scripture and sing it out when he's riding his donkey. No, they were, they were acknowledging, this is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now, Psalm 118. But they left out parts of the psalm. Um, and it's interesting because um, Jesus is sort of, I think Jesus is, is tying up all the loose ends here. Um, let's remind you what the real psalm says. And you'll recognize some of this. Um, here in verse 22 of Psalm 118, the Messianic Psalm of Christ's coming, um, the stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus quotes right here after his little parable, Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23. They weren't crying that part out. Why weren't they crying that part out when he was coming down the road? I'll tell you the answer I believe is because they had no idea what this was all about. They had no idea what the rejecting of a cornerstone and what did that have to do with anything? But but verse 24, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, bro, I recognize that. This is the day I sang that at camp. Um, now it's great, everybody sings that. And I love that song, I sing that song. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Um, but do you know, it's not just talking about the beautiful day of uh, you know, West Lynn, Wilsonville. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a specific day. What day? Well. If you were with us on Wednesday night, should they have known the very day he rode into Jerusalem? How? Anybody remember how? The 70 weeks of Daniel. If they would have known the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel, they could have known April 6, AD 32, the very day Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. And so when, when this Messianic Psalm, when it says, this is the day that the Lord has made, it's talking about the very day Jesus rode into Jerusalem and, and they should have known that very day, but they didn't. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Why will we rejoice? Because it's sunny outside. No, it's because Jesus, the King came 
to die on the cross. You see, they didn't understand the first coming and the second coming. They didn't understand the two advents. They thought their Messiah would come once, but his first coming, he came riding on a colt of a donkey. The second coming, he's coming on a giant white horse from the sky. His first coming, he came as a carpenter. The second coming, he's coming as a conqueror. Um, the first coming, he was judged by men. <clears throat> the second coming, he's gonna be the judge before all men. Um, so they didn't understand it, but what they did do is say, you know, the, the Greek translation version of verse 25, save now, which is the word Hosanna. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It keeps going. But all that to say, uh, they were quoting the right Psalm. They just weren't quoting the whole Psalm. Thus, they missed what they were doing. That's why they were saying, we're gonna reject his authority. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm the stone which the builders rejected and the, the, which is gonna become the head of the corner. Like, I love how Jesus ties all this together. Does this all make sense to you guys? Sometimes I worry that uh, it's too early to talk about all these dots that connect. Um, but minimally, can I just say, don't be like these guys who approach Jesus with your mind already made up without actually listening to him, without actually seeing the miraculous nature of the word of God. There's so many people, yeah, 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 I read the Bible. And yeah, Jesus was a nice teacher and all that. But if you're doing that, you're just like these guys who've made up your mind, <coughs> don't reject the cornerstone. He's the one the whole thing is built upon. So a question of authority, that's the first one. The next question they fire off to Jesus, a question of responsibility. And we see that in chapter 12, <coughs> as we read on in verse 13. It says, and they send unto him certain Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. Are they coming to learn truth? No, they're coming to catch him in his words. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> this is interesting because uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees are the last people you'd see normally together. Can you imagine seeing a protest downtown Portland with evangelical Christians arm in arm with Islamic jihadists and we're all, we're all protesting the same cause? <clears throat> what kind of a cause would uh, need to be in place for jihadists and Christians to get together? It'd have to be kind of a cause that we were united on. Um, that's the only way to unite enemies, by the way is to have a common enemy. And so we have <coughs> this group, the, the Pharisees were the keepers of the Jewish law, hated the Roman empire, were uh, you know, uh, uh, really discouraged because of the iron fist of Rome being there in Jerusalem. The Herodians were called Herodians because they liked Herod. They were, uh, they were saying, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. The, these Romans are here to stay. Let's be good Romans, uh, hail Caesar, blah, blah, blah. So the Herodians and the Pharisees, bitter enemies, but they all come together to trap Jesus in his words. Isn't that interesting? Um, so we read on verse 14. And when they were come, they said unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Now, before we read their question, does something feel off here? Uh, what is this called? Anybody want to put a name to it? Flattery. Can I just warn you, flattery is a pitfall. I've learned this in ministry. I've been a pastor for a lot of years now, about 40 years, I've been a pastor. And when people come up, oh, Pastor Brett, you're so anointed. <laughs> I'm like, I might be annoying, but anointed, I don't know about that. Uh, uh, but I'm always really leery when I say, oh, Brett, you know, because I've noticed that oftentimes there's some ulterior motive. Uh, flattery, and they, they're doing this. They come up, oh, Jesus, we know you're of the Lord and you're amazing. Uh, like, like they're totally complimenting him. But um, I like the old saying, flattery looks like friendship, just like a wolf looks like a dog. Watch out for flattery. Be careful, young people, because uh, I've been duped over the years thinking, oh, this person likes me. Do you think Jesus heard these guys? Oh, they like me, they really like me. Do you think Jesus was so excited about this? Um, no, I think he smelled a rat. Um, uh, and so, so, you know, he, he, by the way, in the King James, when it says you don't care for no man, it means that you, you're not afraid to speak the truth tell it like it is. You know, that's kind of what they're saying. But here's the big question, end of verse 14. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? <clears throat> shall we give, verse 15, or shall we not give? 
But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. So they brought it and he said unto them, whose image is uh, and superscription? <coughs> Excuse me. And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now they're, they're not marveling because they're impressed by him. They're marveling that, what are we gonna say to that? Like, how are we gonna trick this guy? He's untrickable. Because Jesus, spoke, what he spoke, um, you know, if you're trying to nail him saying, he said, don't pay your taxes. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He said, give it to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Um, but but, but what, what about the, see the, the, the two groups that came were the, the biggest area they disagreed on, the Herodians and the Pharisees, um, is the Pharisees believe they shouldn't pay taxes to Rome. The Herodians said, man, pay taxes. Uh, you know, pay your taxes, it's your duty. Uh, it's kind of like the Republicans and Democrats. Pay taxes, don't pay taxes. But um, it's the same debate. Um, but as it turns out, uh, Jesus seeing right through it, he doesn't give each of, either of them what they're looking for, but he speaks absolute truth. Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, but this is the part we often forget as Christians, but render to God the things that are God's. Give to God what is God's, give to Caesar what is Caesar. And he kind of leaves it to the person to say, well, what's God's and what's Caesar's? And by the way, I think the Bible tells us that God will equip you <clears throat> to know if you think about it. I'll know what to give Caesar and I'll know what to give God. Um, by the way, Jesus to me solves a political debate in just this one short little sentence. Um, you know, because it's so easy to get all caught up in the various sides, you know, disliking how our tax dollars is, are spent. Um, it is shocking, the abortions, um, you know, that our tax dollars pay for, even though we think it's one of the most despicable, horrible things happening in our culture. Um, the pride agenda, uh, your tax dollars are, are praying, paying for um, sexual immorality, uh, for transgender affirming care, as they call it, which is just mutilating of children. Like we need to call it what it is, but we also have to understand um, your tax dollars are paying for these things. And, and by the way, um, one thing that's different about the Jews and the Romans, the Jews had no vote. The Jews just kind of, they were under the iron fist of Rome, period. You and I, I need to remind us that, you know, we have at least the, the power to vote and to vote who our, our you know, officials are and the people that are making decisions. And, um, you know, you might say, well, I don't know if it matters. Oh, this is so heartbreaking. Locally, uh, what was it, last month, two months ago, we had a, a very important local election in school boards all around this whole region, whether it's Canby or Newburgh or other places. And we had incumbents that were really good and some people that were running that were really good that would sort of slow down this, uh, you know, don't tell parents if, you're, if the kid is tra uh, changing you know, their gender uh, and the, the drag queen agenda of show and all these agendas that these school boards have been bringing in. This was a big election. And the sad thing is um, there was really good candidates and they got defeated, all of them. In Canby, Newburgh, um, they're all, they all were defeated. And they got very woke school boards in those places. And, and now I can imagine all the Christians, oh, I can't believe it, these guys are well woke and all this. But you know what's so heartbreaking is if, if you know, I mean, I, I gotta say, Athey Creek's a large church. If just our church showed up, our there were more, less people that voted in these in Canby than there are the people that attend Athey Creek. Like it's an amazing thing how if Christians would have just got off their duff and said, we're gonna kind of go more the biblical worldview and try to help nudge our schools to be less satanic than they are now. Uh, we had an opportunity to do that. And I'm just gonna say it, we failed horribly. Now, um, I know the Lord raises men up and puts men down, I get that. But um, I just don't want it to be because of my apathy <laughs> that lets uh, bad people get into office. Um, and, you know, and what's even more troubling is we have a vote, but then the Bible says, you and I, guess what? We have to be subject to the higher powers. Uh, like in Romans 13.1, you know, we, we get who we deserve um, as leaders in our country, <clears throat> in our communities, because you know, we, we voted them in um, as a, a majority, theoretically. Um, Romans 13, one, let every soul be subject to the higher powers for there's no power but of God and the powers that be are ordained of God. So, um, uh, you know, the, the end of that story is where I have to say, well, that, these are the powers that be right now. 
Um, but at the same time, I think we, we've missed an opportunity, um, tragically. Um, by the way, don't forget to First Timothy 2, 1 through 6 it. Um, to pray for those who are in authority over you, that you might live a peaceable life. We need to pray, not just bash. That's what Christians spend so much time doing, bashing those who are in authority, our president and others, when we're told not to bash, but to pray. Um, don't forget that part. Um, and by the way, when Paul wrote this Romans 13, one, who was in charge of that whole um, part of the world at that time? Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero, the most insane world leader in all of world's history. I would, I would put Nero right up where the, with the most crazy, insane leader. And <laughs> this is who Paul, Paul's talking about. The reason I, I cover all this is because Jesus sort of solves this in some ways by saying, um, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God. Well, Brett, before you leave that, we happen to notice, and I get this still, you Athe Creek people broke the law during the COVID lockdown. You guys opened your doors, you didn't wear masks, you broke the law, and you're supposed to be subject to higher powers. There's no uh, power but of God, the powers of your ordained of God, so you should have been following. Well, I have two reasons why the governing elders, we would argue, here's why we opened our doors and didn't require masks and all that stuff. Um, and by the way, at first, we didn't know if it was gonna be the bubonic plague or the black death or, or um, scarlet fever or one of these other you know, ma major pandemics. And, and we weren't just mindlessly saying, oh yeah, whatever. But we, we were careful, we were respectful because we were trying to be subject to the powers. And, you know. But it's, there's a couple things. Once they tell you to do something that is contradictory to scripture. And, and one of the things that they were asking is us to literally forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And, and, and even when we shut our doors for the first you know, weeks and stuff, uh, I said, hey, we're not gonna you know, do this for very long. You know, we're, we're gonna see what happens. But as we saw what happened, do you wanna know how many uh, COVID death funerals? You know, I passed over a church of over 10,000 people. How many COVID death funerals do you think I did? I actually did two, two. One guy was one of my good buddies, really good guy, and we were heartbroken, but he, had, he, he was bigger than me. He was super overweight and love the guy, to, you know, but I'll tell you the, the poor guy, um, I think it was more, um, they, they said it was COVID, but he actually had a heart attack, um, but they called it COVID. That was one. There was another one that I did and, and it was one that I don't know the details as much about that, but, but you'd think, in a, now how many cancer funerals do you think I did in the, in the COVID season? I think just me, and I'm not even talking about all the other pastors who do more funerals than I do on our, on our team, but I did probably 15 or 20. Um, it's funny how the narrative was so off, but, but all that to say, so even to this day, we had staff members even leave and say, we can't go along with you breaking the law. Brett, you taught, you know, First Peter chapter two, you, you taught this, submit yourself to ordinance of man, you know, and I have taught this before, by the way. Um, you know, and what does this say? This is the one people often throw back at Athey Creek leadership. Um, uh, every ordinance of man, whether it be to the king or as supreme or unto governors, and they'd say Governor Brown, you know, uh, to them that are sent by him, the punishment of evildoers and for the praise that do well. For, for this is the will of God, um, that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, maliciousness, pardon me, but, but the servants of God, honor all men, love the brother and fear God, honor the king. So they're saying, but you're, you guys are not doing that. Here's, there's two main things I wanna tell you why we uh, did this. And there's a method why I'm talking about this. Um, the first one uh, is that I think we were not the ones breaking the law, they were. It was our governor who was saying, you gotta stop meeting. And as it turns out, it's the constitution, the first amendment, religious liberty. The government is not supposed to tell churches how and when they can or can't meet. That's just the constitution. The second part of that, by the way, is um, that it, we had a mixed signal. The governor of Oregon was saying, don't meet. And the, do you remember the attorney general at the time was saying, churches, you need to start meeting again. So who do you listen to, the governor or the attorney general? And by the way, do you know what the attorney general's, for you guys that don't know politics, what's his description of his job? The attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer in the United States of America. So who do you listen to? Well, we made a choice. We, did, we chose not to listen to Kate Brown and we chose to listen to the attorney general who said, start meeting again. And, um, but I even have to say, even if the attorney general didn't give us the green light, 
we still would say we're not gonna forsake the assembling of ourselves. Now, you say, but you're just tooting your horn and you're just hoping these people will call you and give you an apology because they were so wrong. Um, I have to admit, verse 15 comes to my mind, for this is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish <laughs> women, I mean men. Um, <laughs> Kate Brown, you wanna know what's heartbreaking to me is most of the churches in this area signed a letter uh, swearing their undying allegiance to Kate Brown. They passed it around and a lot of pastors of churches signed this and we didn't because we, we really don't sign allegiances to uh, governmental officials. Um, uh, we actually sign our allegiance to what the Bible tells us to do. Now you say, Brett, why? So if you're not trying to get people to apologize and say they're sorry, which they haven't, should, but um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but I'm telling you this because I believe that whole little exercise was just one big test balloon. Um, I think there's future issues coming in America. And you know who tells me that the most? Our Slavic community, our older Russian and, and Ukrainian uh, AC Creekers that come here. And a lot of them come at the noon service. And they're all, Brett, you don't see it, man. You Americans don't see it. We lived in the Soviet Union. We saw how this rolls. Like, like I've been warned by our Slavic community that you know, you, nobody is understanding what's happening here. Um, that's why I love that we have the anchor of the word. And Jesus defines the responsibility, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and you render unto God what the things are God's. And it just so happens that us assembling as a church is one of the things we render unto God and we don't render unto Caesar. Does that make sense? Jesus nailed that down for it in this uh, question of responsibility. Number three, we gotta move, um, a question about eternity. Look at verse 18. Uh, it says there, then came to him the Sadducees. And by the way, it, we're, we're, we're sort of going up in intellect. Each, each tier we start getting, and we're about to reach the pinnacle of intellect uh, with these, but now the Sadducees. Um, it says, then came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> no life after death. They asked him saying, and they're gonna ask him about eternity, the afterlife, because they don't believe in the afterlife. Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven, so you know, they say, here's what Moses said. Now we're gonna tell you a little story. What are you gonna do? Uh, here's the story, verse 20. Now there were seven brethren. The first took a wife, the dying left no seed. And dying, he left no seed or, or heir. The second took her, fulfilling the law of Moses, by the way, took her, uh, married her and died. Neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and seven after her, uh, he had her and left no seed. Um, the moral of the story, don't marry this lady. Um, <laughs> not much of a career in that. Um, no, that's not the moral. I'm just kidding. So the seven had her, they all died with no seed. And last of all, the woman died also. Sad story. Now here's their big question, verse 23. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, which we know doesn't happen because we're Sadducees, um, but when they shall rise, whose wife shall he be of them? Is this a dumb question? God, I'm glad you guys are getting it. There are dumb questions and this is one big one. Um, they thought they had Jesus hook, line, and sinker. Uh, you believe in the life after? Well, who's they, who are they gonna be married to, Jesus? Seven husbands and one lady, what are you gonna do? Um, and by the way, in Bible times, it was not that unusual for a man to have seven wives. God never ordained that, nor did he condone it, but people did it. But you would have never heard of a one woman having seven husbands. Like we don't, we miss the ridiculousness of this in their mind. Like, it's so ridiculous to think, what's this woman gonna have? Seven husbands, which would have never happened. That would have been totally frowned upon in their culture. So they think they got Jesus. And I love Jesus' answer. He's much nicer than I would have been. <laughs> Verse 24, Jesus answering said unto them, do you not therefore err? He says, like, aren't, you guys are making a huge mistake. Um, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. Um, by the way, that answer that Jesus gave is the answer for 99.9% .9 of all the dumb questions out there. You're making a mistake in your question because you don't know the scriptures. That's the first thing. When you don't know the scriptures, good luck. And you also don't know the power of God. Let me give you the power of God one. When the college friends are, we know that a whale cannot swallow a man. 
their mouths are not structured in a way where they swallow something. They just open their mouths and plankton and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know that, you know. Um, and I would just say you do err because you limit the power of God. God could make a trout the size of this building and swallow a man. And it doesn't say it was a whale, it was a big fish, the Bible says. Uh, so if there's a trout the size of, oh, say, Oregon, God could do that. Um, so, so you sell short the power of God. Jesus says, you, you guys are making a mistake. You don't know the scripture and you don't understand the power of God. And, and then Jesus, I can't believe it. He actually answers their question. Verse uh, 25, he says, for when they shall rise from the dead, which Jesus is saying people rise from the dead, um, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, in other words, you know, talking about the dead people, um, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake to him saying, I am, not I was, I am the God of Abraham and of God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. You know, when Moses heard that in the burning bush, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been long dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. But Jesus is saying, God said, I am, not I, past tense was, I am the God of Abraham who happens to be alive, Isaac and Jacob in the afterlife. Um, and verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly error. You're making a huge mistake. Um, these uh, Sadducees, by the way, they didn't believe in much. They didn't believe in the resurrection, the existence of the soul, life after death. They didn't believe in final judgment, angels or demons, which is interesting that Jesus includes the angels and the demons part here. Um, but all that to say, uh, they got these rules from their own scriptures. The scribes, uh, I mean, pardon me, the Sadducees believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. They were not literalists. They were very liberal theologians, if you would. Um, and the Sadducees believed um, uh, that God did speak to Moses truth. So God, uh, speaking truth to Moses, Jesus puts down their argument with their own scriptures um, that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So their question about eternity was just really off base because they don't believe scripture and they minimize the power of God. Number four, we're almost done, a question of priority. A question of priority, verse 28. And one of the scribes, now the scribes were the pinnacle of intellect. That's kind of interesting. Um, one of the scribes came having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had um, answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Um, now, pause for a second. This scribe is asking the question, which of the commandments of Moses? And need I remind you, I'm, I'm sure you all have this memorized. I put this up almost every other week. The 613 laws of Moses. Um, and, and they're asking, which one of these is the greatest of all? The, like, the reason he's asking that is that was the question argued of the day. What is the most important of all the commandments? But Jesus is not gonna refer to these. Um, I like how Jesus does kind of an end around here and talks about something even more important um, there. Uh, you know, which is the greatest and first commandment? Jesus, verse 29, answered him. The first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Um, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. See, it's funny because the Jews didn't necessarily think, they thought of this as the great Shema, as they called it. And it was an important thing. They all memorized. They recited it over and over again. They taught their kids this little line, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And they say it over and over and over again. But they didn't really necessarily count this as one of these, the 613 laws and commandments. But Jesus is saying, you wanna know what the first is? It's this one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now in the gospel of John, he even says, and on these two things hangs all of this. And, and what a profound statement he makes in saying that. The, all these 613 laws of Moses, they all hang on the simple truth. If you just love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, all this other stuff comes pretty easy. Um, by the way, these are quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the great Shema, as it's called. Um, the second quote, loving your um, neighbor, comes from Leviticus 19, 18. But priority one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
Priority two, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and this is it. By the way, it was St. Augustine who rightly uh, put it this way. He said, um, love God and do whatever you please. Um, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who's beloved. It's, in other words, rather than trying to memorize and keep all the laws, the better question is, um, do I, am I doing what I'm doing because I love God? Um, and because I'm trying to love others better? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting if you take all the things you wrestle with and run it through that filter. Should I get a tattoo? Well, is it helping you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself? Oh, come on, Brett. Now, this is the greatest of all the commandments. Jesus said it. And if you do what you do out of love for God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and for your neighbor as yourself. See, it's funny because the reason I use the tattoo one is I know some of you moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, you know, the kids come up, I wanna get a tattoo. And you're like, oh, the Bible says. Leviticus chapter 19, thou shalt not mark your body. Now, listen, grandpa, the problem with that is the next verse says, and also men, you should not let cut the corners of your beards. Let that part of your hair grow long. You know how the Jews walk around with the spit curls that go down like this? So if your kids can't have tattoos because of living against 19, you also have to have the long spit curls. God bless you. I'm sure your, your buddies at work will think that looks really cool. Um, you can even bob up and down like the Jews at the Wailing Wall, you know, their little spit curls and like, it'll look great. Um, come on, Brett, give us a scripture. Uh, we gotta tell our kids that I, I don't have a scripture uh, other than, you know, Revelation 19, Jesus comes riding his second coming on a white horse and tattooed on his thigh says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> Jesus comes all tatted up. <laughs> now don't send me letters. I, I, some of you, I know. Um, now, now, that's, that's, that's my argument why you shouldn't use the Bible for that kind of thing, because it's the law, the 613 laws. And, um, and I'm not sure you can make a biblical case. I do think there are some logical cases, especially if you're saying, am I getting a tattoo to, to, because I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, and I'm loving my neighbor as myself. And I know for me, for me, I wouldn't put this on everybody else, um, but for me, getting a tattoo would not necessarily be the best way for me to serve the Lord and to be more effective in serving Christ. I know people who are all tatted up and the Lord uses them, especially if it's their kind of their past and where they bring it in. And it always kind of cracks me up when the Christian kid that grew up in homeschool goes and gets all tatted up. And it's like, yeah, I lived a tough life before this, you know, whatever. It's like, no, you're just a weird homeschool kid. But um, no, I'm just, just kidding. Just, I know half our people are homeschoolers. Just be careful. Don't be a poser. Don't be a poser. But um, anyway, the point is, I think we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing, you know, and there's, there's some logic. Uh, one reason I didn't get tattoos uh, as a young age, because I, I, I watched what happens to people's skin over years. <laughs> and you ladies, you know, in the 90s, y'all got the butterfly in the middle of your back. The problem is that goes down like a sunset. Uh, <laughs> gravity, gravity kicks in and do, 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 do. It's just, I'm, just watch out. I'm just giving you some freebies. This is all free. Uh, be that as it may, that's the thing, um, you know. <laughs> so we have a question of priority and the priority is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm, I'm almost done, literally 30 seconds. <laughs> a question of priority, verse uh, third, uh, 28 goes on and says, and now, by the way, this, this question of priority is love God uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The, the, the final one is a question of identity and now Jesus is as answering the questions. Um, because notice that he shuts their mouths. Um, in fact, the scribe, let's back up verse 32, maybe more than 30 seconds. Um, in verse 32, the scribe said unto him, well, master, in other words, good job, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and love his neighbor as himself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now you think, oh good, he agrees with Jesus. But notice Jesus's tepid response, verse 34. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, word discreetly there sounds nice and everything, but the word discreetly um, is, uh, if you translate the, the Greek word there, acting wise, playing a game. That's what he's doing. 
He's just worried about what other people might think. So he says the right thing. And then Jesus says, knowing that he answered discreetly, he said, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any more questions. <clears throat> Question, do you wanna be not far from the kingdom of God or do you wanna be part of the kingdom of God? See, I wonder if this scribe is close, but no cigar. Like, like, is he 18 inches from the kingdom of God? Because that's usually the distance, the distance from your thinking brain to your heart that really accepts and receives. This guy in his brain answers discreetly. Oh, good answer, Jesus. Um, but is he really there? Not yet. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not in the kingdom yet. And that brings us to not only the last, uh, 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 you know, of all, Jesus now asks the final question, a question of identity, verse 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself by the Holy Ghost, the Lord hath, uh, has said to my Lord, the Lord hath said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make thy uh, enemies thy footstool. And David therefore called him Lord. Whence then is, uh, is he then his son? And then the common people heard him gladly. What's this all about? We're gonna do a deep dive on Wednesday night on this, the question of identity. Who is Jesus? He's the son of David. Anybody that acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah is saying he's the son of David, rightful heir to the throne. But see the scribes, these guys that he's talking to right now, they thought David was the pinnacle, but why would David call one of his descendants Lord? This, this I'm just gonna tell you kind of the sneak preview. It's disrupting their view of who the Messiah is because David would call him Lord, but he also has to be the son of David. Again, cultural fupa. You never call your son Lord. How is it that David calls his son Lord? And it's, it stumps them. That's why the, the, the common people go, huh, did you see what he just did? He stumped the scribes, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the, the priests. Jesus had answers for all. And that's why they all shut their mouths and said, yeah, whatever you do, don't ask him any more questions because he kind of knows how to answer them. I end with this. What do you say of Jesus's identity? The common people were recognizing and hearing him gladly because they knew he is the Messiah. And that's why they accepted him. Don't let your intellect be a blockade uh, to the truth of Jesus Christ, amen? amen? Amen. Lord, I pray blessing now as we've covered this section of scripture, these questions that they charged and um, fired at Jesus, how perfectly he answered. Lord, I pray that our faith wouldn't be disrupted or derailed by our own seeming intellect, but help us to know and believe and be common people who hear him gladly. For those that don't know you, Lord, may they rethink their uh, position on what they think of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.